Hi, everyone, and welcome. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, June 28th. We're continuing in our Bible study of 1 Timothy. Today, we're going to study 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20, and we'll talk about Paul's gratitude for God's mercy and Timothy's responsibility. But before we get to it all, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing opportunity we have once again to study your word, and thank you for all that have come to join. Lord, we give you our hearts and our souls, our very minds, everything about us. We just lay it all at your feet, and we ask you to open our hearts to receive what it is you have for us today. Thank you for all that you've done and continue to do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Turn with me in your Bible or Bible app to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20, and let's find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. All right, folks, verses 12 to 17 talk about Paul's gratitude for God's mercy. So let's see what Paul's saying right there. Starting again with verses 12 and 13. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Here's our first question. In verse 12, Paul begins by focusing on what aspect of his personal experiences? The answer is he focuses on his testimony. He thanks God for the spiritual power needed for his ministry. Paul fully embraced Christ's teachings in John 15:5. Apart from me, he said, you can do nothing. Paul's power came from Christ, not his own human ability. Also of note, Paul used the specific title of Christ Jesus our Lord on seven occasions with two of them right in this chapter, verse 2 and verse 12. The other references are Romans 6:23 and Romans 8:39. 1 Corinthians 15.31, Ephesians 3.11, and 2 Timothy 1.2. And he seems to use this phrase in order to emphasize the common faith in Jesus Christ with his readers. But that makes me think of another question. The second half of this verse, verse 12, provides two important aspects of Paul's ministry. What are they? First, Paul notes that God declared him faithful, 
Notice he doesn't say he is faithful and God recognized it, but that God considered me trustworthy. In other words, God made Paul faithful, a defining characteristic of his ministry. Second, Paul recognized God's role in selecting him for his role as an apostle. He didn't deserve it or earn it. The idea of serving him was similar to that of a servant to a king or a master. Paul saw himself as a bond servant of God, offering an example for Christians today. Now, after thanking Jesus in the previous verse, Paul speaks in graphic terms about the man he used to be prior to his miraculous conversion. What three specific areas of his former life does he talk about? Paul refers to three specific areas. Here they are, blasphemy, insolence, and ignorance. Paul spoke against Jesus, persecuted his followers, and opposed the church. When Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, his first words are in Acts 9:4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The next phrase identifies what changed Paul, the mercy of God. Paul will use a similar phrase in verse 16. The Greek word used here is eleos, translated received mercy. The term is passive, meaning Paul did not go out and acquire mercy. God provided it with no contribution on Paul's part. Paul knew his heart prior to conversion was sincere, but sincerely wrong. Paul saw himself as one who sinned ignorantly until God poured out his mercy on him. Next up, verse 14. It reads, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. Here's the question. As we just discussed, at one time Paul was sincerely wrong and opposed God. What does he say that God did to change him? The cure for this was the mercy of God. Salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus. All three of these elements are mentioned here in this verse, God's grace, the Lord Jesus, and Paul's faith. In fact, in the ESV translation of this verse, Paul says, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me. For all of the sins Paul had committed, the grace given him by God was more than enough to bring salvation. Paul also mentioned faith and love in Christ as vital to his salvation. Faith and love come from Jesus, something we are to live out as his followers. Of note here, at the end of the verse, the word order Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ is a particular emphasis in Paul's writings. This emphasizes the title Christ, meaning Messiah or Anointed One. Next up, verse 15, it says, This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. The question here is this. Here in this verse, Paul used a phrase that is unique to the pastoral epistles. And again, the pastoral epistles are 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. In fact, he uses it five times between those three. What is that phrase and what does it mean? And what is the statement to remember in this verse? The phrase is, this is a trustworthy saying. Each time Paul uses this phrase, it emphasizes a particular point or quote Paul wants Timothy or Titus to remember. In this verse, the statement to remember is, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. We think of Paul as a great hero of faith, but Paul never saw himself that way because he remembered his life before he met Christ. Paul recognized both that he had been a sinner and that he was not saved by grace. He recognized his past, but did not wallow in it. Humility and gratitude should mark the life of every Christian. Never forget that you too, my friends, are a sinner saved by grace.
Next, verse 16, it reads, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's the question. If you could sum up this verse in one word, what would it be and why? In a word, I believe this verse is all about mercy. This verse begins by repeating the same phrase given in verse 13, but God had mercy on me. In contrast with being a worst sinner, Paul became a recipient of the great patience of Jesus. Paul used this same perspective in Romans 9 verses 22 to 24 when he wrote about the salvation of the Gentiles. This is what he said. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those for whom he shows mercy, who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. The concept of examples is also important to Paul. He not only saw himself as an example, but challenged the younger Timothy back in verse 12 to set a good example for the believers. Peter likewise notes Jesus as our example, 1 Peter 2.21 and that elders were to be the examples to their flocks, 1 Peter 5, 3. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Doesn't this closely resemble John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? Though John's gospel may have been written later, this teaching was clearly known and taught from the beginning of the church's existence. You can read about more in Acts chapter 2. Next up, verse 17, it reads, All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Here's the question. Paul finishes this section of verses with praise to God. Why? Reflecting on how good God has been to him, who was a blasphemer and a persecutor, caused Paul to praise God. This verse is a typical doxology given by Paul as a natural, emotional response to these reflections about the mercy of God. When Paul realized all that God had done for him, he was left with no other words than all honor and glory to God forever and ever. Now in the remaining verses 18 through 20, Paul turns his attention back to Timothy. He puts an imaginary arm around Timothy's shoulder and passes on a few last minute instructions. Let's find out about Timothy's responsibility and what that means. Verse 18 says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Our question is, here Paul gives Timothy a prelude of what the actual instructions will be. What does Paul say these instructions are based on, and what does that mean? These instructions refer to the job Timothy was sent to do in Ephesus, that is, quieting the false teachers. Paul was expressing again his confidence in entrusting Timothy with an important ministry. Referring to the prophetic words spoken about Timothy, Paul made it clear that his choice of Timothy was not made solely on the basis of their friendship or his hunches about Timothy's abilities. Other believers had noted qualities in Timothy that Paul was happy to affirm and to put to work for the gospel. Scholars have suggested two possibilities for these prophecies about Timothy. First, these were Old Testament promises prophesied by the prophets, promises that Timothy claimed. And number two, these are prophetic utterances at Timothy's ordination, Acts 14.23 and 1 Timothy 4.14. 4, 
Timothy had been set apart for ministry when elders laid their hands on him. Apparently, at Timothy's commissioning, several believers had prophesied about his gifts and strengths. These words from the Lord must have encouraged Timothy throughout his ministry. We can only guess who gave the prophecies and what they said. In any case, Paul reminded Timothy of these statements to encourage him. At the end of this verse, Paul employed a military metaphor to describe Timothy's work in Ephesus. It would indeed be a fight, but victory would achieve the good of the believers and the church. It was a worthwhile fight of the faith. Next is verse 19. It reads, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul pairs faith and a clear conscience as part of his instruction to Timothy. Why would that be important for Timothy and us as well? In the first part of the verse, Paul says to Timothy, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. This includes the idea of clinging to and not letting go of his faith. And Timothy was to do so with a clear conscience. The pairing of faith and a good conscience is like armor for the Christian. They keep us from giving in to temptation and to debilitating spiritual and moral sidetracks. Faith begins and ends this verse. The second half warns about the danger of turning from a good conscience. Paul uses the Greek word apernathemai, which implies a strong personal deliberate refusal. This is not a casual or accidental error. Paul is referring to those who purposely reject keeping a clear conscience. Then he says that rejecting the faith and refusing to listen to one's conscience will end in a shipwrecked faith. This deliberate action reflects heresy, not just backslide. And now, folks, our last verse for today, verse 20. It reads, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. Now Paul gives us two examples of men who violated their consciences. What did they do and what were the consequences? Apparently, these two men had been members of the church because Paul had put them out of the church. We don't know who Alexander was. He may have been an associate of Hymenaeus or the coppersmith mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.14 who hurt Paul. But he was not the Alexander mentioned in the riot at Ephesus, Acts 19.33. Hymenaeus's error is explained in 2 Timothy 2 verses 17 to 28. We'll find that he weakened people's faith by teaching that the resurrection of the dead had already occurred. But then Paul said he threw them out of the church and handed them over to Satan. What does he mean with that? To be handed over to Satan means that Paul removed these men from the fellowship of the church and back into the world, which is Satan's domain. Paul did this so they would see the error of their ways and repent. The ultimate purpose of this punishment was correction so they would learn not to blaspheme God. My friends, the church today is often too lax in disciplining Christians who deliberately sin. Deliberate disobedience should be responded to quickly and sternly to prevent the entire congregation from being affected. But discipline must be done in a way that tries to bring back the offender to Christ and into the loving embrace of the church. The definition of discipline includes these words, strengthening, purifying, training, correcting, and perfecting. Condemnation, suspicion, withholding of forgiveness or permanent exile should never, ever be a part of church discipline. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study session of 1 Timothy chapter 1. There sure was a lot to talk about today, for sure. We learned that Paul rejoiced and was overwhelmed with gratefulness that God had considered him trustworthy 
and it appointed him to serve in spreading the good news of salvation to his fellow Jews as well as the Gentiles. He was also thankful to the Lord because at one time he scoffed at the name of Christ. Then we saw how Paul turned his attention back to Timothy and gave him much-needed encouragement with helpful instruction for dealing with a difficult situation within the church in Ephesus. Next time, we're going to be studying 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, and we're going to talk about instructions for worship. Thanks again for taking time to join me today. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week, and I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.